I am Sarah Ruffi, the Woman Warrior Lawyer, and today my guest is Madi Murad. Madi, how about if you introduce yourself, please? Hello. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Mom. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Yes, so my name is Mahdi Murad. I am uh, originally Kurdish from uh, Kurdistan region of Iraq, but I have uh, recently become a Dutch citizen. So I could say I'm Kurdish from Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I am working for uh, Juniper Networks. It's an IT uh, networking company. Uh, May 1st would be six years with them. So it's been quite some time. I have recently moved to Dubai and I'm covering Middle East market, uh, working as a sales account manager. So you sell big fancy computer systems all over the Middle East. Yes, that's what I do. And that's what you started doing after, after college, right? After you were done with school? Uh, almost. After I, I was done with school, I was still working as a sales manager but in a different uh, industry. I was more working with a local company selling uh, home appliances, TV, all this stuff uh, for the, the, the home appliances for about just almost a year. And then I got the opportunity uh, to be hired by uh, Cisco Systems. Um, and then uh, I went to Amsterdam. And then that's when my journey with the uh, IT uh, started. And how did you go from selling appliances to selling computer systems? Yeah, to be honest, um, I studied business and I had a minor in IT as well. And uh, I always loved sales. I always wanted to work in sales myself. And that was my uh, kind of uh, dream job uh, to do. Well, after I graduated. So in Kurdistan or in Iraq, generally, the opportunities were limited when I graduated. So and I didn't want to be without job. And that opportunity came as a good, it was a very good opportunity covering all Iraq as a sales manager, meeting a lot of clients, recruiting new clients. So that was my first sales job. I mean, I did smaller sales jobs while I was still in school. But the actual career sales, that was starting from there. But in the background, I was always looking uh, to get a job in one of these big companies. I wanted to be engaged more in IT. I wanted to, uh, at the beginning, to be honest, Microsoft was my dream company to work for. And I think I, think I applied probably above 100 times. But at that time, it was, I think it was just not meant to be. I, I was in Iraq. It was very difficult to get a job there. You had to go outside Iraq. And uh, it didn't happen, but I didn't give up. Uh, it was very interesting that one day, a friend of mine, my uh, <clears throat> university call, uh, colleague, he, he uh, I really want to mention his name, Taha. He's, uh, he was working with me in the marketing department and he came to me, he said, Maddie, I really think you will be perfect for this position. And man, it is Cisco. It's one of the best companies in the world. And I know you are always interested in IT apply. And I was like, man, this opportunity is in Amsterdam. What are the opportunities or the probabilities that I will get this job? And I was like, okay, let me just apply. 
and I applied and uh, it was very interesting. I, uh, I had a friend of mine who was uh, Iraqi uh, visiting from the U.S. He helped me with the video. I did a simple video just being myself. Did a, The requirement was send a CV and also send a sales pitch. And I did it. Three weeks later, I got an email. You've been accepted to the next stages of interview. Went to Istanbul, did a sales assessment. Within a month, I was out of Kurdistan and I was in Amsterdam. So it went very, very smooth, very um, fast. And I, I feel I'm very, very lucky. Like a lot of luck was involved. I have to be humble on that. But I also, when the luck comes, you also need to grab it. Yeah. So, well, was it lucky or perfect timing? I think it was the combination of everything. I was doing well in that company, but I was also, I always wanted to go to Europe or go back to the U.S. at that time. After my MEPI program, I, I, I knew I knew I would be more, like, it would be better for me to go to outside Iraq, you know, at that time. So but I was, was also- always looking. And it was a challenge to get outside of Iraq at that time, wasn't it? It was almost next to impossible because, I mean, uh, unless a company sponsors you, unless like the program, I'm sure you're going to talk a little bit about the program as yeah. well later, uh, will help you getting a visa with or travel with the Iraqi passport. It's, it's not possible. So I think it was a combination of luck, perfect timing, and everything and then it just happened and then i went to amsterdam i was supposed to uh, stay for one year there and then after one year i was supposed to come back to dubai work for cisco at that time but again with the passport complications i couldn't just smoothly move to dubai there's a lot of visa requirement iraqi passport was it accepted or not accepted they didn't give me the work visa right away so and then Cisco extended my contract for another year. And then, well, within this year, I thought, okay, I loved Amsterdam so much. I, I made best, I met best friends ever there. I loved the lifestyle there. I said, you know what? Maybe this is the place that I can stay. So I applied for different companies. And then Juniper Networks offered me a job. And then I said, okay, that's my home now, at least. So then it happens just like that. I stayed for... Six years there, get my houses there, my everything there. So now I'm, I really feel like I'm from there. Uh, well, and part of your goal while you were in Amsterdam, knowing that travel with an Iraqi passport was difficult, was to become a citizen of the Netherlands. Yes, I did everything in my power to meet all the requirements. I learned Dutch. I behaved very well. I will still do. <laughs> oh, Marty, uh, you're a good guy. That's why. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I am very blessed and very lucky, very fortunate that I'm holding one of the most strongest passports in the world. I, I literally went from the worst passport in the world, which is Iraqi passport, to the top five best passports in the world. So I'm very blessed. And uh, I, I do feel like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I became Dutch very well. So I also did all the requirements. I learned Dutch, everything. So I'm happy. I'm very, very happy that happened. 
So once you decided to get your Dutch passport, how long did the process take you? Yeah, after five years, after you meet the requirements, and then exactly after five years, you can apply. And I applied. Usually it's one year, within one year. And it, they have a one-year window to get back to you. But because of uh, most of the time, it's around seven to eight months. Everything is finished. But this year, Corona came and all the stuff last year. So it, t- it took me nine months or something, like almost actually exactly like nine and month and 20 days when I got it. Okay. Now, English and Dutch aren't the only foreign languages that you speak. No. How many do you speak? I do speak, uh, okay, Arabic, English, Kurdish, Dutch, that's four. Um, My Turkish is very, very basic. I know the, I have knowledge of it. My Persian is, understanding is okay, but I thought I was speaking Persian as well, but I think the lady is not approving it so much yet. I need to improve (laughs) it, but Kurdish and Persian are very close uh, together. So I do understand a lot of it, and I think uh, I, I can also speak some of it as well. So I think I speak four fluently very well, and I speak Persian, I would say, intermediate, let's say, and uh, Turkish, basically. So hopefully I will make all the six fluent. Didn't you also speak Italian? A little bit. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. So that's like seven. basic. Yes, basic, basic. That's really I impressive. Italy, I was going to Italy a lot at that time, so I learned some. <laughs> learned enough to get by, right? Yes, yes. Now I want to talk about when you went to work for Cisco. Yes. Your territory was Iraq? Yes, I only had Iraq as a territory. But and they also do within- a... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but also within Iraq, I had some very limited number of accounts. So Cisco model was different. But I, yeah, I was I was covering only Iraq. And you were pretty much breaking into that market for Cisco at the time. Is that right? They had a good base as well. But uh, in the Kurdistan region at that time, uh, it was the strongest in terms of economy. So most of the projects they had, it was there. And me being local it made a lot of ways easier for them, uh, for us to work. Now, I recall that they had a sales competition, and if you hit certain numbers, then you were rewarded with a trip to the States. We did, we, so they, they, we have sales kickoff. They, we had sales kickoff. It was for all the sales, um, organization so every year we had the sales kickoff in august we were going there then so it was the target was for the whole team actually if you do double digit we will take you back to vegas and most of the time we all did double digit and we went to vegas yes i went two times with them you did and i think you saw rafa's was it both of those times? Yeah, one time Dwight and I came and saw you, and the other time Dwight and Tony came and saw you. Yes, the first time you and uh, Dwight came. Um, 
I was actually looking for the picture. I have it because I still haven't unpacked everything. <laughs> uh, as I moved one month ago to this apartment, I was looking for the picture in the Statsphere, you know? I got uh, No, it was a roller coaster in New York, New York. The roller coaster. The roller coaster. Yep. Yeah, I, have the, I still have that picture. <laughs> I have the one of us. We took a group shot in one of the malls, I think, that night. Yes. Lama was there as well. Yep. I have that one on my dresser, actually. Okay, nice. You said you always wanted to do sales. Yes. I think I heard a story about you being a salesman at a very young age to pay for school. Yes. So actually, my sales started even before I get into the university. Um, I was always... Like, because I came from a very mid uh, family, uh, financially, we were very challenged at that time. So when I was in uh, primary school, I was uh, not so much working, but in high school, in a secondary school, every time I was going to school in the morning until 12 o'clock, uh, from 8 to 12, three days uh, in a week and two days I was going from 12 to five. It was because there was not enough buildings, so they divided school in my city, in my town, in between two. So when I was going in the morning, and quickly after the morning, my classes were done, I was running home bringing ice cream to school so that I can sell ice cream. So I was selling ice cream. And many times also I sold other things like sunflowers and stuff like this that are common uh, at that age. And then, uh, yeah, I during the summers, I was always selling either ice cream. I was selling something, always, during uh, summer break times. It's probably why you and Dwight get along. Because he was yes. a born salesman when he was a kid, too. Yeah, yeah. I, we never have enough time to talk about all this when I'm with Dwight. <laughs> There's <laughs> never enough time to talk about anything yeah. when you're with <laughs> Dwight. Is that is true. Um. How did you, so you had to pay for your secondary education? I mean, it's it was free in school, but of course you have expenses. You have a lot of other things to pay. Uh, you need to buy clothes, you need to buy paper, then notebooks, you need to buy pens and pencils. When you don't have money, even those cheap things are very expensive. And that's what so, you were selling stuff to pay for. Yeah, to pay so that for I, that and also to pay for that. And also I always had the sense of being independent mom since I'm really young. And my family is big, as you know. Uh, I have uh, five brothers and uh, three sisters. So it was very difficult for my dad to cope up with all of us. And the situation was not the best. So I had to do something, you know. For example, I, I love to ride the bicycle, but I never was able to afford to buy a bicycle. So when I was selling ice cream, I could make some extra money so I could rent a bicycle for half an hour. Uh, so let's say I was paying 50 cent dollar or let's say, yeah, one dinner, Iraqi dinner to uh, ride a bike for half an hour. So I was, I was, there was a place you could rent these bikes for half an hour to one hour or two hours. So sometimes sales was good. I was renting it for two hours. <laughs> Those days were the happy days. Those were the happy days. It is, isn't it funny how 
your perspective changes that when you were a kid, you were hustling to make money to be able to afford these things because they weren't necessities that your parents could afford. But you didn't look at it as a true hardship and how you use those building blocks that you learned with that hustle even today, that they just became part of you. Yeah, I I mean, I did hope that I I would I want to have a different life childhood life for my kids for sure. Absolutely. But at the same time, but at the same time, I growing up and now thinking about it or talking about it, it really gives me goosebumps to think about it because I think that experience coming through this childhood made me probably contributed a lot to where I'm standing right now to my success. Um, I'm still like I'm still connected to those people. I'm still like you know coming from this type of lifestyle make this lifestyle today easier for me. It made really this lifestyle easier for me. Um, I don't want my kids to have this. It was very difficult. It was not convincing as well, you know. But at the same time, it was what it was. Um, I was not the only one. Uh, that lived like this and we had in, in my town, we, uh, my, all my friends were like that. So we could, you know, we grew up this way. Yep. It was just the, the period of time that we, um, we felt that way, uh, that, that we had to deal with it. But to be honest, uh, I always learned, even now, my dad always uh, taught us that, you know, we, we, there's always, always people that are that have worse uh, life than us so even at that time when i had to do all this i was thinking okay i can pay to ride a bicycle for half an hour but there's many people who cannot have this even this half an hour yeah so i am carrying this model even today uh today i'm a, i have a very good life i can help my family I can, you know, I, I live in a, one of the best places in Dubai, all this thing. But at the same time, I'm also all, I never forget where I came from. And I never forget because now I'm I'm living in a city. If I spent $10 million right now, I can still not compete. I can go out, a car might be parked next to my car for $30 million. So I don't carry this model. I always carry the model. Okay, I have way more than I need. And there's millions who are dreaming to have 1% of what I have. That's, that's, that's always been my way of living. And it always makes me a positive and happy person. Uh, and I'm very blessed that I, I grew up like this. I, I love and I thank my family and thank my dad to, you know, put me in this type of path. It's important to always remember where you came from. And one thing that I, you truly inspire me is your humility and the gratitude that you have for what you have and what you've earned and what you've accomplished. And the other thing that I find really amazing and wonderful about you is how you share that and you share it with your parents so that they can now have a better life than what they were able to give to you and your siblings when you guys were kids. 
Yeah, to be honest, my, my best, like the happiest moments for me uh, are not when I can buy a very nice car that even I would never dream about it or when I can live in a very nice city or we cannot travel to anywhere. I think um, the best moments are for me when my parents and my family needs me and I'm saying, yes, I got you. I think my mom, my mom's dream so much like she was born in 1950. I think since she is 20 years old, she really wants to go to Mecca, to Hajj, you know? And all these years, she couldn't. Um, one year and a half, two years ago, when I made it happen for her, that, 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 I almost said, okay, even right now, if I die, it's fine for me. You know, this was one of my dreams. Uh, when I, when I was video calling with her, and I've, I've always seen my mom smile, of course, I love it, but, I could tell, like, I never seen this type of smile in my mom's face when she was in Hajj. And that was her dream. And when I could contribute and make that happen for her, wow, I said, okay, that, that is something special. So right now, like, most of the time she talks to me. We, we talk daily. She asks me, how are we doing? How are things? And the good thing is I know they know I, I I put my life together. They know they should not be worried about me. And that's what I, they always say, Mahdi, you are a very movable person. One time there, one time there, they were very afraid of something is going to happen to me. Once in a while, I was in Baghdad and then I was in the U.S. traveling too much. She was like, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen to you. But now at least I convinced them that I have put my life together so they should not be worried about me. And that's that's the biggest accomplishment I, I com- the thing I have accomplished in my I think in my current status. So what were when you you came to the US as a MEPI, which yes. is the Middle East Partnership Initiative. Yes. How old were you when you came over here? Do you remember? Twenty six, right? Twenty six. Oh, twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. Okay. I, I wasn't, I couldn't remember. I thought you were younger than that. Um, I was 25. What did you have to go through to get into the program? Well, first off, whose idea was it? And what did you have to go through to get in the program? I mean, I was very lucky to study in the American University of Iraq Suleiman, a UIS. That is a, a, a completely um, liberal art um, school that is opened in 2007 i think yeah in 2007 in the kurdistan region in Suleimania, and i got accepted to that university and this is i think one of the best projects that the post-iraqi uh, saddam Hussein regime brought to uh, iraq i think it's one of the best things that happened to young young people like me and thousands of young people like me uh, without that university, where I am today, it would not be possible. I, it would not be possible for me to go to the U.S. as well, because that university introduced us all to this exchange programs. And above all, that university taught us English. And without speaking English, we would not be able to go there as well. So I have to give a lot of credit to my university. Uh, so this program came, I applied four years to this program and I was not accepted. Other people were accepted because it's very limited. Four years I got rejected. The fifth year I got accepted. 
I got accepted the fifth year. And thanks for the program organizers. To be honest, it went very smooth. And uh, we had some very good friends in um, Baghdad who were studying at the uh, university as well. So when we went there, they also helped us, although the Baghdad situation was not good, but they helped us to, uh, you know, they hosted us in their homes. And that's the beautiful thing about Iraq. You know, we're very hospital people. Like no matter, no matter which part of the country you are from, what you see in the media, it's always, oh, Sunni, Shia, Kurdish, they're fighting. But when an Iraqi meet another Iraqi, no matter where it is, that is it. That's a big hug and smile. Oh, you Iraqi. So a friend of mine hosted me in the house. He organized everything. They take me from the airport to their home and then to the embassy. I did the interviews uh, for the visa. They got my passport and then they send my passport back to Suleimania and it happens within a month. Then after that, actually, to be honest, mom, when I got accepted to this program, my, you might laugh about it, but I, I've seen, and I have to be honest, I'm, 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 like, as you say, I, I, I say things the way they are. I didn't expect anything, to be honest. I was not explored a lot to the U.S. culture, a lot to all this experience. I, I, I All I was excited about it, I was like, okay, I'm going to, for the first time in my life, fly with a plane, you know? I'm going to go on a plane, <laughs> you know, and it's such a short flight for that first one. It was, uh, and I, I was awake 14 hours. I, I liked it. I was in the window looking down. Wow, this plane. So I'm I'm that type of person, you know. This was my expectation. All I was thinking about, I didn't know what's going to happen there. But I said, at least I'm going to say I flew with a plane. That was it, the first time, you know. So, <laughs> and nowadays, look at how time changed. Nowadays, when I have a flight, I'm like, oh. Not again. <laughs> again. So that, yeah, not again. But once I I got to the U.S., I mean, first of all, the program changed my life a lot. And uh, again, being very frank and honest, all I wanted to before I joined this program, all I wanted was to really graduate, just like any other student in in Kurdistan or in Iraq, graduate, get a simple job, get married make kids live the life that is what my what what actually was in my mind if i'm honest with you mom but this program when i went there i met some really amazing people i met one of my mentors there was uday uday he was a iraqi professor and he we start talking a lot about um uh, the situation, I opened my mind, I, I realized, wow, there's way more than what I'm thinking, there's way more potential for us, uh, I, I realized, okay, moving to another country outside Iraq, running away from the bad situation, providing a better future for myself and future, and myself and my family, it's not impossible anymore, I realized, okay, I can do it, I can do it, why not, so when I went back, I always tell my friends, I am going to leave the hair. Exactly what I, I, I read that time, a book, uh, The Secret, I am sure if you know about it. I, the, I really, every day, mom, every day I was going home, I was visualizing, okay, I'm going to go to Europe, I'm going to uh, get a job there, I'm going to do this. And I was always, always thinking, and I believed in it. I knew this is going to happen. And 
If I say what I exactly imagine it the, when I was a senior in, in the university, before even I graduated, every single thing, 100%, even more than what I expected, happened exactly how I want. And it is so inspiring and amazing to think about it. Anybody I know, the first thing I tell them, have you read The Secret? It's an amazing book. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, knowing you and getting, uh, like, being so lucky that a family, an American family, I mean, you know how media works. I, I was, I've never raised in my family to have bad intentions or bad imaginations, but I just didn't know how it is. I, I thought we are just two different human beings in two different planets. But when I, I uh, you hosted me and I, I, you guys came, picked us in the airport and this is, you gave me your son's room. Okay, you can sleep here. And in the morning I woke up nothing was changed it feels like i woke up in my own family breakfast was there nobody took things serious i was like wow i am part of this family now this is amazing <laughs> you know and start playing with the boys start going to the office helping around i loved it and that also opened my mind i said okay so i will not die if i leave iraq i can have a good life as well after this why not so then that also contributed to my plans for the future. So I, again, I can't thank you enough for sure. Absolutely. Um, well, and so, it seems to me that when you first came into our house, I think one of the first nights we had the conversation about the media yeah, and how you're supposed to be afraid of the people in other countries and the media preys on doom and gloom and fear because clearly that's what sells. Exactly. And that that wasn't your reality when you actually got to the United States. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you know, there's a lot of beautiful things happening in Iraq, in all the countries in the Middle East, that the situation is bad. But how, which media talks about it? No, but I was a journalist. I mean, I, in the university as an extracurricular, I was an editor-in-chief. I was a reporter. I did a lot of journalism work. And I tell everybody before I even go to the U.S. Uh, and get opened up to different types of job. I know I always wanted to be a sales in the sales, but I also had some crazy ideas. I wanted to be a war correspondent when I was singing the movie. I wanted to be like this type of journalist if I want to be. But when I got exposed to the the, the actuality of the media, I actually thought, okay, this is not something I would enjoy, you know? Uh, first of all, of course, there was no money in it. And I grew up, I, I wanted to change that part of my life as well, you know? It's not everything, but it, it, it can do a lot of things. It certainly helps. It certainly helps. So, But yeah, I mean, everything we hear, all Americans are like this. They hate Iraqis because some people, uh, uh, their families lost, but we also lost a lot of, families i even at the first time the first day i uh i still remember i hope i will see this lady one day to apologize i think i was very young i was not experienced at all in the mepi so one lady was there she said yeah she was in iraq and a soldier and i just randomly asked her how many iraqis did you kill and she was like laughingly she said depends how much they bothered me and then i didn't know i, I was just coming like this you know i was coming there to prove that why are you doing this instead of learning from it? But then 
I was too young. And then at the beginning of the program, and then I was like, okay, let me observe a little bit more. Then I realized, even I asked a question one time, uh, we were all MEPIs together because we divided into different universities. I asked the program manager, why are you bringing us here? Like, why are you spending all this money to bring us here? I asked uh, exactly this question. And what'd you get for an answer? Yeah, she was like, this is one of the, I, I, I was hoping somebody asked this question. It was at the end of the program when I asked. I said, I, I can never thank you enough for giving me this opportunity. I loved every minute of it. It, it, it changed, certainly changed my life. But why? Why are you doing this? And for all the reasons we talked about, about the media, about this, he said, that's why we do. You guys are going to be the future leaders of your own country. You guys are chosen to be the smartest, uh, or I, I would say one of the luckiest as well, to be honest, because I had a lot of friends who were way smarter than me, uh, and they didn't get the chance to go to the U.S. or get the job in Cisco. I was very lucky, a lot of luck engaged, but when I... Luck like had nothing to do with it, Marty. Yeah, but like, uh, I mean, it was just, I have to say it, because a lot of fr- friends of mine were even way smarter than me, and they didn't get it. I'm mentioning this because I, I was hoping that they also could get it. But anyways, she said, you will be the future leaders of this country, and I want you guys to talk about it. It is not what media, it is not what everybody thinks. So all my time, to be honest, after I am back from that program and after Georgetown University uh, experience, I've always been talking uh, to people uh, about this. And a lot of people after me went to the same program, and it is amazing. It is very amazing how this little step makes such a huge impact on a lot of people, you know? So what were some of your biggest takeaways from the MEPI program? I think number one, I learned the the word impossible to achieve something should not be in my brain. I, I, I We are always being, always been exposed to, oh, that's impossible. You know, in Kurdish, we always say that's impossible. That's impossible. But after this program, that word didn't mean anything to me. And a lot of people laughed at me for what I was saying. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. And today, hopefully, they will see that, okay, they can laugh, but I actually made it. So hopefully I was going to this- say, are they still laughing or are they like, yeah. holy man, he said he was going to do it. We thought he was crazy and he did it. Yeah. So I, that's one thing I learned. Um that, that there's there's a lot of opportunities out there we need to achieve. I think another another takeaway of the program was um, it, it ties a little bit to the first the impossible, but also the, the, it opens my mind so much that it is nice to be involved to different cultures. It's not as scary as everybody say to go build life in a different country. That not. I think even if Iraq had a perfect life. Even if Iraq was a, one of the safest countries and I had a perfect job after MEPI program, I would still want to go out and explore the world. That's so it's not like I ran away from the problems, but I actually went toward some of the different things. You know, I, I wanted to do unusual. I didn't want just to be uh, like anybody. You know, I, I needed to change the environment. I needed to change myself. I needed to learn about different things. And I think that is. Another thing I took away, and maybe also taught me that ah, I, I I I like to travel, 
I was happy when I, my dad was able to take me from a city to another city in Kurdistan. But after maybe I said, no, I need to go abroad. I need to travel more. And since that day on, I always, always travel. I love traveling. And that's why I get a job that made me travel a lot. I, it's, if I don't travel, I mean, during the easy circumstances, like I can't wait until this Corona situation is over so I can always travel. Uh, traveling, it became one of my hobbies. Uh, before that, I, I knew it was just a dream. And I didn't even has, have the courage to go after that dream after, you know, I wanted to travel, but it was just like, okay, travel with how? It was impossible, right? It was impossible, yes. But then after maybe I told you, there was no more impossible things for me. And well, it the happened. word itself says I'm possible. Yeah. Exactly. Right? If you, if, you, if you break it down, exactly. You know, and one of the one of the expressions Tony Robbins has, and I actually have it on a wall here, is if you can't, you must. If you must, you can. Very interesting. So it kind of takes away the whole impossible, because if it's possible, it's if it's impossible, you must. Yeah. And if you wow. must do it, there has to be a way. Exactly. I mean, it's, I've, I've been telling my friends so much after uh, two of my friends also left and after university and uh, one lives in Canada, the other one lives in um, uh, Nashville. Uh, I was with him uh, 2019 uh, in a road trip. Yep. Uh, so I'm trying, I keep trying telling people, you know, it's possible from here on. If I can do it, if I could do it, I guarantee so many people in my university, at least in this university, could can do it easily as well because I was not the smartest. I was not bad, but I was not the smartest of my friends, to be honest. You know, I was just the type of person that I believed that I can do it and I went after it. I think I, I think this... If all of my friends were also thinking like me about the word impossible, I think they would all get it as well. I think that was the key for me to open all these doors. Well, I think part of it is you are a natural born salesman. And yeah. I say that with love and respect, but as being a natural born salesman, that means you understand people. Yeah. And when you understand people, you can relate to them and you can help them. It's not that you're pushing what you have on them. It's helping them to solve their own issues and create their own possibilities. Exactly. I think another, I learned from my mentors as well. I have never acted like a salesperson. Even when I was selling ice cream, I was, I was mostly focusing what will this ice cream brings to them instead of to me. And it's still, all about them. Yeah, it's still until today as well. I'm very straightforward, honest person when it when I get a question about the products, about everything. And thanks to Dutch as well, I from Dutch people I learned to be even more straightforward. Hmm. Um, Funny how that works. Yeah, because I, you know I'm over I, half. I'm half Dutch, right? Yeah, yes, <laughs> I know. But it is it it helps. For us, you know, our culture is always about being 
afraid that you offend someone, even it's, you know, it's not offending, but you just recalculate so many things before you give a feedback. But in Netherlands, they just give the feedback. And when you, once you're used to it, it is actually really efficient and nice. I like it, you know, to some good extent. What you see is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I like the idea. I don't know. I like it. But up to today as well, I've been questioned so many times. I mean, we have a lot of competitors, Juniper Networks. You know? I don't want to mention the names, but we have a lot of competitors. When customers are asking me, I'm very honest. I'm saying, yeah, they can also do the job. But today, I think people are buying from me, not buying the product most of the time, because I, I know I do everything I can to make it easy for them. That's well, what I First off, it's how may I serve? What what is what's your problem? What's your challenge? And how can I solve that? And how, how can I help you? And when you're professional, you're open, you're honest, and you're caring and, and you're a problem solver, that yeah. that rapport and that relationship is what they're valuing. The exactly. product solves their problem, but you're the conduit between them and the product. I mean, even if the product is the best, but if your behavior toward them is not the best, then you're you going to lose get, it. Yeah, you're going to lose it. So I think for me, it's always like this. I always, I mean, that's the process, you know, sales process. Yeah. What keeps you awake uh, at night? All these cliche things uh, that us, everybody is knowing. But I think today's world, customers know everything about the product before I even talk to them about it, to be honest. We, we are in a very different uh, model of sales. I think I'm more, we can call ourselves more consultants in, in terms of how we in, integrate solutions to their priorities. I think today as well, is, I mean, customers can go and just 10 minutes before I um, get into the meeting, tell me the strength and the weaknesses of this product on Google, and then everything will come up, to be honest. So it's all about relationship management today. It's all about, you know, all the, the, the things we talked about, being honest and uh, being bold. And this is one of our strategies as well. I, I always like to just say it. And if you take it, you take it. If you don't take it, I mean, I cannot force you, but this is this is what I have. This is what I can do for you. This is what I have to offer. Yeah. And uh, another thing, a lot of salespeople, they tend to spend so much time talking about competition. I've never talked about competition unless I've been asked. Good or bad? Well, I never talk about it. Why would you? Because exactly. when you're talking about the competition, you're selling them. You aren't selling yourself or your product. It was funny. Like uh, one time I, I had a customer meeting. Actually, the customer told me this is the first time, the first time a salesperson doesn't come start with, let me tell you how we are better than the X vendor. <laughs> oh, wait, look at politics in the U.S. It's not yeah. this is what I have to offer. It's this is why he's bad. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, I I have my opinion about candidate A. Now you tell me why I should believe what you're trying to sell me. What are you yeah. going to do for me? It's you know, the old that. what's in it for me is every buyer's, they don't care what's in it for you. What's in it for me? 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's very interesting if you think about it, like how things get trended these days or how things get changed. Like, yeah, I mean, the U.S. politics, I, I actually stopped uh, focusing a lot on politics uh, for thing. a while. It's uh, that's why I don't. I'm no longer on social media as well. It's just too much. But it, it's 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 crazy how things go around. Um, yeah, it, it's very we we living in a very like things change very fast these days. One thing could be a trend now, tomorrow another thing completely different could be a trend, and everybody talks about it. That's the power of social media, of course. Yeah. Nowadays, there's no more distance. Everything is on a screen for us, you know? And we carry him with us everywhere. Yes. Yes. So you've talked a lot about your career and where you've come and where you started. How do you define success? I would say something. It is a little bit generic, but we can also talk about it. I think success for me is when I sit down in my home and I'm like, okay, I'm happy, you know? I think I think for me, once you realize you're a happy person, that's success. For a lot of people, that happiness comes when there's one million in their bank account. For a lot of people, is when they find their lady and they're happy with it. For a lot of people, is about when they're around their family or anything you know they achieve but i think for me uh, i have to say when when you realistically we're not faking it you're really happy that that is when i feel like i'm successful like for the last i mean in holland i was happy you know mm-hmm. but my happiness had so many dependencies that i could not control it was not in my control control one th- if one variable was changed, let's say if I didn't get the passport, I was not being happy, you know? So these things, but when you make enough uh, variables under your own control about your own life and you can control them and those things that are bringing you the initial happiness, that is success means for me. Nowadays, I come home, I'm chilling in the balcony and I know I have a safe setup and I'm like, okay, now I'm really, really happy. You know, that that is that is success for me. Even if I, I, I'm in a stage of my life, even if I have like $10 million, I think I will still be like, money is no longer, uh, it is big part of it, of course. We cannot, you know, deny that. But it's no longer that, okay, I need to have this much to be happy. I don't count amount anymore. I have a setup that I can control, I control my life, I control my schedule, and I'm like, okay, that is done. This is what I was working for for all my life. And I'm good now. I can travel anywhere I want. I can travel anywhere I want. I'm engaged in a good uh, industry of work. I have built for my future as well. I have good friends. My family is safe. Good girlfriend. And I'm like, okay. What more? It's not like I give up. I still work hard. I still want to get there, get more to more stages. But if those stages didn't come, if they come after 10 years, I don't care because now I have good setup. I'm happy. And, and, and I think if anybody come home and can really, really be happy for what they have, what they achieved, 
and they have a setup of their life that, you know, actually it's a happy life that that's the success. That means, okay, they achieved their goal. They achieved, they are successful people for me. And that's why I call myself successful because now, okay, I have my setup and everything is, it's good. Life is good. That means I have done good things. I'm not in, I don't have a loan. I'm not in debt. I can pay my bills. I can travel. I have a, house, a nice house. I can meet my friends. I once in a while, I can go out. What more? I'm very happy. So that means I am successful. That is, that for me, that's, that's what, how I define success. That's how we define it too. Yeah, good, good to and know. It, and it's an internal job. You know, everybody can define success differently, but when yeah. you are truly happy yeah, and happy with who you are and where you are, I agree that that is, that is success. And I also, I realized, mom, that happiness we're looking for, it is right with us, you know, all the time, all the time. I didn't know. I always, before I get into this stage, I always thought happiness my happiness is somewhere else i need to go look for it and find it but it is with us like it's really with me now okay i can make myself miserable by going out comparing myself to people or blah 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 all this stuff but if i just sit down and say okay where i came from what i have achieved and where am i and i think every person in every level of life can can get into this you know if they just sit down with themselves and talk about Everybody, there's some level of improvement, of course. Mm-hmm. I think they can find this happening. I think the power of finding happiness or the power of realizing that the happiness is with you, not with somebody else. Your happiness is with you, not with somebody else. That is the success, I think. A lot of people, a lot of, of us in some ages, we cannot get into this level to find or to convincingly say, okay, I can make myself, like, I can be happy. The happiness is here. Uh, that's why they're not happy. You know? But I think once you once you once you really convince that it is there, you're okay. I think it's happy. Yeah. And when you talk about that, you got to this stage. Did you have a, a breakthrough, or do you have mentors that you work with that helped you reach that point that? Happiness is an in success is an inside job and being happy with where I am is success. How did you get there? Definitely. That's a very good question. Um, at certain age, we, especially young, you know, and at young age, we, we think we, we figured out all, we got it all. We think, uh, we know, we all know of it, it all. We know it all. We think nobody can give us, uh, nobody can understand us and give us, you know, advice. But for me, to be honest, career-wise, I think starting from career, of course, when you're young, when your career goes well, you will be, you know, that's the path to your success. You know, first, you need to have a good career to build up on it. You know, you'll not be on the street. You can pay your bills. You can meet nice people on this. But I always, always, always have mentors. I always, even I think if I become the most influential person in the world, if I become Tony Robinson, you know, I think he also has somebody to look for. I think we cannot, 
we cannot just be ourselves when it, we, we have to have mentors. Everybody, like you will only realize that you still, there's still a lot of room to learn when you talk to people who are more experienced than you. And that's, that's always been my model. And at the beginning, when I just moved to Netherlands, I thought, okay, I'm special. I just, I am, I am one of the most special person in the world getting a job in Amsterdam. That's how I thought about it. But later days, I realized, no, I should be really lucky that I got this. Let's realize, Maddie, there was more smarter people than you and you got luck. So let's not ruin it. Talk to smart people and learn from them. And that's where I realized, okay, I need to do it. So I always have mentors. I always have for my career, for my life. And I think I, I always, like, when I was watching Snoop Dogg one time, giving a speech about his, uh, it is very funny, but I think he, a lot of times we need to thank ourselves as well, you know. Um, for for example, for me, I I, I, I really... I was lucky enough to be able to realize who are good friends, who are good influences. I could go anyway. In Holland, me going from a town of Kurdistan to Holland, I could go either way. But I was very, very blessed that I went the right way. Friends are the best influences on you. I was miles, miles away from my family and my my uh, dad and my parents all, but Finding good friends is always good. And my friends in the Netherlands, I like to say hi. They helped me a lot. (laughs) It was very nice. When you are around successful people, you become successful. Like You either leave the cycle or you become successful. You have no choice. Well, we are the the average of the, the sum of the five people we hang around with the most. Yeah. So do you want to be at the top of your circle or at the bottom of it? Or somewhere in the middle. I the think, smartest person in the room is usually the one that's the quietest. Yeah, I think when you are in a circle of successful people, I see it that one day I am on top and another day I'm in the bottom. So we help each other. Yep. I've been on top of the circle many times, but I've also been in the bottom of the circle many, many times and I got help. So that's why when you are open... When you, when you trust a group of successful people, when you're open to listen to their feedback, um, then you learn. You will be on the top and you will be down. It's normal. My my biggest problem when I started working with Cisco was I was doing presentation skills. The mentor was telling, giving me presentation uh, like feedback. I was arguing with him. No, but it is not like this in in this part of the world. Instead of saying, okay, let me apply it and see how it is. My biggest problem was I didn't know to, how to take feedback. I always thought I knew more. But when once I realized, I once I realized feedback is good, listening to those people is good, just give it a chance. You can take it or leave it, the feedback. Sometimes you get very, I, I sometimes have received very, very bad feedback. Very bad feedback. If I was following that feedback, I would become nothing. But I listened to it, at least, listen, I listened to it. I said, okay, maybe he said this. Let me ask somebody else and see what he is gonna, or she is going to say. And then you realize the right answer. This is, how I, this is how I came, actually. So with the different mentors that you've had, what's some of the best advice that you've received along the way? 
I think the one advice that helped me a lot is not having the fear being myself. A lot of times I pretended to be somebody else just for the sake of being accepted in something very stupid. Sorry for the language, mom, you know. A lot of times I've been forcing myself not to act a certain way, not to be myself. And I never, for a few years, I never found, found that I was able to find the right people because I always pretended to be a different Mahdi. Until I realized I don't care. I want to speak the way I want. I want to talk the way I want. I want to do some certain activities the way I want it. And I, I, I really don't care. Sometimes we need to have that. Sometimes we need to have this. I don't care. We need to be brave enough to act in a, in a way that our body naturally suggests us to do. And we all know what are right and wrong things. Like uh, some of them are black and white, very clear. But in a certain daily activities, I always pretended to be a different media. I always say, oh, this is this group of people. I should do that and that. And now I look back, I'm like, it was very easy to tell that I was faking it. So one advice I got was... Just be yourself, man, you know? Don't be afraid that not being yourself, you know, will make you lose the job or lose a friend. If these are not the right job or the right people around you if you lose them because you're not yourself. So this is one of the things I learned that every mentor told me, just be yourself, be brave enough to be yourself. And it take a lot of effort. And sometimes I was doing it, and I always checked on me. What do they think? What do they think? But I, I keep doing it, doing it. Nowadays, I am just me. If you are bothered, sorry, you cannot be that's around. That's your problem, not mine, right? Yes, that's no longer my problem. <laughs> and that is one of the one of the best things, actually, that helped me to get to where I am. I am just me. I have my character. I'm defined by my character. Everybody who knows me, talks to me, they can define okay, who Mahdi is. I don't give my information. I'm very mysterious in a lot of things. Only a small circle of people knows details about a lot of details about me. But in generic situation, they know how Mahdi is and who Mahdi is. And that's it. And I, I really don't care if somebody is bothered with it. Sorry. Then just don't be around Just a second. I'm going to pause for just a second. All right. So got to love it when things get in the way like life. So anyway, one final question. Yes. If you could snap your fingers and change anything about the world today without any effort or work on your, on your part, what would it be? In my part. Just snap your fingers and it changes. I think I would act, I, I would be myself more, soon, way sooner than in my life than I started. I, I figured out very late. I think I, I, think I would, I, I would, I would uh, if I had a chance, I would rewind time to act me and be me exactly who I am uh, for the earliest age possible. I think that would get me to way higher places. The rest, I have no regrets, always been lessons, learning from it, and that's it. Awesome. Well, Mm -hmm. Mani, it's been a pleasure, and we'll have to do a round two. 
And if you've liked what you heard today, check out some of our other stories on you and your life with Sarah Ruffi and subscribe and you'll get updates when new interviews are released. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. And yes, I look forward for the second round as well. Sounds great. Thank you.